Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Modern Aged Middle Life, a podcast brought to you by Emily Baum and Graham Jarvis, comedy writers addressing modern day confusions for the middle aged. What does it mean to you to be British? So are we still doing optimism? <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. Off the back of Brexit and COVID, I think being British is being very optimistic at the moment, don't you? I'm not sure what it means to be British. I thought I did know what it meant to be British when I was a kid. Really, it depends where you are as to what you think. If you're in Yorkshire, you don't think you're British, you think you're a Yorkshire person. Yeah, but you still think you're British, don't you? I think we're all quite patriotic and that brings us back to optimism at the same thing. The number of times people say, oh, it's north of Watford Gap, is that in Britain? (laughs) Uh. And people in Cornwall, completely different breed of people. I think Britishness, if anything, is a catch-all term for a rammel box. What's a rammel box? Rammel is a term perhaps from Lincolnshire, perhaps going into Yorkshire bits. A rammel box, when I was a kid, you'd have a big cardboard box all your toys would be tidied up into there. And if you wanted to find something, you'd have to go through all this box of bits. And it's called the Rammel box. Where's my car? It's in the Rammel box. Was that a Rammel Dammel Ding Dong? <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing, I think. We never had that down south. We just had a toy box and a nanny. You probably had a walk-in toy store. So we'd just say, Barbara, go and find me my little pushy car <laughs> on my Lego playset. Exactly. Get it yourself, Emily. I can't. I can't. Otherwise, there's no reason in paying for you, Barbara. Come on, love. Go and get it. <laughs> we didn't have walk-in wardrobes. Well, if you did walk into them, you'd hit your nose. (laughs) I was going to say, we never had walk-in wardrobes. We had a couple of instances when my older brother got drunk and tried to have a wee in one, but that was about it. I think you'd have a walk-in rammel box if you had rammel boxes. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Barbara would. And that would technically be where she lived a large portion of the time. Barbara does sound like an English name. But we had... It wasn't a real name. Oh. We just couldn't be bothered to remember a new one. OK. All of your nannies <laughs> and people were called Barbara. They were just called Barbara. Yeah. We didn't know where they came from. They were delivered. It was like an early stage of delivery. They came in the back <laughs> of a taxi. Yeah. Nobody bothered to learn their names. Must have been awkward <laughs> when you shut out Barbara wanting the shoeshine person to come running in and the cleaner and the cook came in as well, all answering. It's very hard to shout and be heard in the West Wing as well, Graham. I mean, it's a real problem. I can imagine when I was sitting in my little eight foot by eight foot square living room, which housed a TV, a rocking chair, a double settee and a single chair, piano, a table, which doubled up as an ironing board. I mean, there was not a lot of room. Barbara would have been sitting there, I imagine, swinging from the lampshades. No, Barbara would have been running around the pool trying to get my inflatable to inflate. (laughs) How old were you at this time? 32. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that adds up. So to me, being British... And scaling back to your optimism, because I do think being British and being optimistic genuinely have to go hand in hand. It was always about land of hope and glory, Jerusalem, minute silence, the Union Jack, the Queen and the wonderfully racist Prince Philip. You know, all of that was traditionally English and British and tradition and having tea on the lawn. You're starting to say all of that was English or British. I mean, I don't think of myself as English. Don't you? No, I think I'm more of a Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Destination unknown. (laughs) My mother answered the door to a man and she thought of herself as so not worthy, Mm. my mother, that when she answered the door to this man, he said, oh, hello, And she said, I'm sorry, no one's in. (laughs) And he 
looked slightly surprised. He said, uh, you're in, aren't you? And she said, no, and closed the door. Because she was like a Barbara in training. In other words, not worthy. What she was fantasising was she imagined the man would believe that in our tiny little terraced house, there was some woman ruler, some like baroness. And so she was referring to herself as no one's in, meaning no one of any importance. But she didn't think of herself as English, British or anything else. She just thought of herself as who she was. I love that. I'm going to try that yeah. next time someone comes in, you know, a hawker or someone trying to sell you double glazing. Hello, I'd like to talk to you about double glazing. I'm sorry, no one's in at the moment. <laughs> Just watch their face. By the way, listeners, when she says a double glazing person, she means a double glazing person. When she says hawker, she actually does mean a man bringing round birds of prey. Man with a hawk. <laughs> I'll only have your hawk if your name's Barbara. <laughs> Suppliers to the House of Barbaras. So do you think there is a social divide? Now, I don't know where I've got this idea from, but do you think there's a social divide between your upbringing and my upbringing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I think all this land of open glory and all the rest of it, to me, was something I discovered when I was a young man, but that was never part of my upbringing. Oh, we were very patriotic. We were dragged to church. We were... That's not patriotic. No? That's just joining in on the stuff that's available. Is that religion? <laughs> it's all in London. People say, oh, you've got to pop down the coffee shops in Soho and all this. Well, that's just London. If you live within a few minutes of London, great. No. People used to pop down the coffee shops in Soho because it was a novelty to see a gay person. OK. Now, there's gay people all over the place, so it's it's not a novelty anymore. Well, it wasn't a novelty to me as a teenager. There was a gay person in Grimsby. Was there? Yeah, I worried about it. I bet he was called something like Gay John or Gay Andrew. No, no or... I think he was called okay. Barbara. <laughs> I worried about that person because he wore a floppy hat and a cape, which was the giveaway. That was Quentin Crisp. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the founding father of all gay people. Well, when I inquired where he came from, People mistook me to mean in the Darwinian sense. And I said, well, surely he's not like a, he's not a hermaphrodite. How do they breed, these gay people? I couldn't get my head around it. No, we're still trying. <laughs> There's a lot of underground efforts going on, but sadly, nothing's come up to the surface. <laughs> so would you say, would you call yourself British? I thought you were going to say, would I call myself gay? No! You are wearing a jazzy shirt, but, you know, this isn't the 1950s. We don't classify gay people by a jaunty walk and a snappy hat anymore. There's a bit more to it. Like the love of the same sex. A snappy hat. I would love. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? It was the old-fashioned version of gay was, oh, he's a bit of a gay or he's a bit of a Nancy boy. Because why? Because he wore scarlet trousers and decided to go for a loafer over a brogue. Yeah, oh, my God, yeah. call the local neighbourhood watch. A snappy hat. I feel like going out and buying a snappy hat now you've said that. <laughs> I will buy you a snappy hat. Oh, yeah, please. You'll probably have an alligator on the front, but I'll buy you one. <laughs> <laughs> Just did not have a sense of being British when I was younger, and I haven't really known. So when you go to Spain on your holidays uh -huh. and you're turning your shorts up and you're exposing your alabaster skin to the sun for the first time of the year as you dip into the Adriatic Sea with lots of bronze Spanish spokes around you and someone says, egg and chips, anyone? Do you feel embarrassed to be British at that point or joyous to be British? No, because I don't consider myself to be British. For example, in Turkey, we were in a restaurant and I'd had some of that sun on my alabaster skin. Hmm. Jill went to the loo and I'd got quite a tan. The man came up and started off talking in English 
But perhaps because of the look of holidaymaker's awareness, it looked to him like I hadn't understood. So he started talking to me in mm. Turkish. And he seemed to think I was Turkish. Do you think that was because you were wearing foil and you'd been stuffed? That <laughs> <laughs> he thought you were Turkey? I think it was when I was doing history as a teenager and I learned that in Queen Victoria's time, if anybody disagreed, like the Egyptians, they sent gunboats over and started bombing them. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's horrible. And then when I learned more and more about our background, I thought, oh, I don't think I want to associate with this lot. Is that horrible or is that just being assertive? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Graham, it's everybody's perspective. Is it my fault that India left the door open and we popped in and lived there for a while? Is it my fault that China was open to persuasion and we moved in there for a bit? I mean, just as we had to use our best table tennis back paddle to get rid of Adolf Hitler... But you are correct, historically, the British Empire was pretty good at trying to make its new home in much warmer climes. Yeah. But in fairness, the home temperature was pretty dank and you probably do understand why they were trying to migrate. I think they were all trying to say, we know best, all the men. It was English men, really, wasn't no, it? No, I think it was, dear God, please let us get out of this rain for five minutes. Yeah. Anywhere will do. But then we got to India and when alabaster skin does not suit the Indian humidity, nor does it suit the weather, which is why we should now retreat back to England where whiter than white is fine. I think beer was before the empire, though, wasn't it? We went into America. I mean, we were just... Did we? Yeah. I think we've tried everywhere. I think the only place we didn't bother was Hungary. But it was like we looked at the map and went, where is warmer than here? Because we never made an effort for Russia, did we? No. We never went, let's go to the Black Forest in Germany. No. We just went, right, where's a bit warmer? Where well, they got ocean. I don't think that was the case, because otherwise we wouldn't have sent the people we disliked, i.e. convicts, across to Australia. We'd have sent them to the Arctic. It doesn't matter where in the world I chose to live. I would still always feel British. Yeah. Because I think there are certain things, like our sarcastic humour, that you just don't get anywhere else. Chips and gravy, Walker's crisps, Marmite, Heinz baked beans. There are certain things that are very, very systematically British, like a pint of lager. Horrible. It's very English. It's not. It is. Lager's from Europe. I know, but most people don't drink 40 of them. We're still stealing other people's stuff. Lager was... But we're stealing 20 pints and then we're being sick in the street and having a sweaty kebab on the way home. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes us English. <laughs> Getting drunk and perhaps being aggressive might be a trait. Which is, again, why I don't really feel part of it. Wearing your pyjamas to a supermarket. That is British. Yeah, I can accept that perhaps the British are a bit quirky, that perhaps they wear slippers when they should be wearing shoes. But I tell you what I don't understand. Should I make a list here? Yeah, get a marker. Right, we are one of the smallest countries in the world. Yeah. Why do we now need to split ourselves into other smaller countries? So now Scotland is a country. Now Cornwall is a country. Any minute now, Birmingham will become its own country just purely because we want to give it up. Sorry, we could turn around and say, right, come on, chop, chop, everybody, put a fence up. We're not letting anybody else in. We're going to be a country. Sorry. Yeah, I think there's a lot of British people who, if they've got enough wealth, don't actually want to be British. I think they seasonally want to be British during British summertime, which starts from April until September. The other six months of the year, You'd like to be an Australian patriot or somewhere warmer.
I got an invitation recently for BST and I had to Google it and that's British summertime. Yeah. I was like, no, just taking the mick. GMT, why is it Greenwich Mean Time? Why isn't it Greenwich Kind Time or Greenwich Sharing Time? I don't understand. Why is it Greenwich Mean Time? They just like to make us seem bad, I guess. Or perhaps yeah. it's some sort of average. Yeah. There is a British thing about politeness and there is a British thing about queuing and there is a British thing about pleases and thank yous. I mean, there's all sorts of little British traits and people often say British people are ever so polite. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> not the girl I saw spitting at a member of staff in Thorpe Park today, I can tell you, was not being polite. <laughs> As a ruckus ensued. I think politeness and niceness are sort of a worldwide thing. I've been in different countries where people have been delightful to me. And then I've been in England. People are delightful by and large. Well, that's only because they ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> the southeast of England, people ignore you. Uh, the north of England, people talk to you. Well, my experience is exactly as you've said. If I go out and I've got my duplicate butterfly cards with me, <laughs> I go up to somebody outside Waitrose in the southeast and say, Would you like to swap this? And they just walk straight past. I know. Up in the north, I'll say, Would you like to swap my? And they just go, No, and walk off. But they do talk. <laughs> so it's right what you say. In my experience, very right. I lived in Yorkshire for three years while I was at university and took all of the flack for all of the South for three whole years. The amount of times they said to me, where do you live? And I said, Surrey. And they'd go, sorry. And I'd go, I've heard that before. <laughs> Wasn't funny the first 700 times. It's not funny now. You should have pretended to be um, Barbara Flack. Barbara Flack, <laughs> a relative of the singer. In the end, I just got Barbara to answer on my behalf. So she was then embroiled in the rhetorical humority that was going on while I managed to move off and go straight to the student union. Ah. So Barbara was very handy. <laughs> very, very handy. I love your <laughs> vocabulary. Perhaps that's the English thing. Like just there when you said embroiled, and I immediately thought it was a method of cooking a chicken. That's probably how you got that tan in Turkey. <laughs> I was going to ask if you're self-basted. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain local cultural differences, like you go to certain parts further north and you can eat deep-fried chocolate bars. You come south and you can get a quinoa burger. I mean, it's a small place to have all that variety. Well, perhaps, but it's still not British, is it? If you said eating a Mars bar that's been deep-fried in a fat fryer... People wouldn't say that was British. to say, oh, no, that's Glaswegian. No. Well, what would you say was the ultimate British culinary delight? I think the traditional meal that the English would probably think of is something like roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Aha! But there you've made a beginner's mistake because the number one meal in the United Kingdom is chicken tikka masala. Yeah, but that's been recent. Surely we're not just talking no. about... No. When was that brought into Since England? Since I was a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my lifetime... That was only because all of my nannies came from overseas, yeah. so we, we changed the takeaway policy Did you call the them South. nanny when you were eating <laughs> the tikka masala or did you call them naan? E. No, Barbara. <laughs> you're, you're very nanny, Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> How many puns can we come up with tonight? We're on fire. No, literally, someone will burn our houses down for these poor puns, I tell you. Are we talking about mm. Britishness in the last 40 years? 
or are we talking about Britishness over the centuries? Well, traditionally, it was things like the East End. It was sausage and mash. It was pie and mash. Basically, it was everything and mash, really. Yeah, that's true. Anything that was going to give you a heart attack was known as local cuisine. Anything that gave you a heart attack or wind. <laughs> well, it was. In Grimsby, it's fish and chips. We didn't have mash. Didn't you? Well, not with fish. Fish and chips. No one has fish and mash. We're not animals. Fish and mash. Fish and mash, that's if you've got a heart problem and you've got to lose weight suddenly and the doctor puts you on a cabbage soup diet that you'd have fish and mash. Can you imagine? <laughs> fish and mash sounds like the most depressing meal you could ever humanly have. Oh, Graham, I've done dinner tonight. You can look forward to a small slab of unsalted, unbuttered, unseasoned cod and some no-dairy mash. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> no, Might as well just eat the sideboard. In Grimsby, no cod. It's haddock. <laughs> you don't have cod in Grimsby. Oh, is it? Oh. Cheap fish. Is it smoked or is it non-smoked? No, it's in batter. Deep fat fried. Fish and mash sounds like it's been invented by somebody with no teeth, doesn't it? Fish and mash. Yeah, fish and mash. Smoked or non-smoked? Smoked haddock is a different thing. This is deep fried haddock, you know, like white fish, like cod down here you get. Yeah, but, it's... but is it smoked or unsmoked? Unsmoked. Why did we start smoking it? Was that because the price of tobacco was high during the war? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> People down the seafront, you know, waiting to get on the boats to go off to war, Dunkirk, etc., rolling up half a haddock. Yeah, it sounds likely. It was the only way, I think. They used to preserve it, didn't they, in salt and then by smoking it. But now it's bright yellow. There's no smoking system that's natural that makes your food bright yellow. Otherwise, we'd have day-glow mash. Yeah, your so-called national food of Britain... The Indian food, mm. there you probably get bright yellow rice and bright yellow bits to it. Yeah, that's so true. perhaps yeah. the world's yeah. going bright yellow. Do you think they rub that in haddock? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how the Scottish got kedgery? They were like that. Oh, this rice is white. It's boring. I can't look at it. Rub it on that haddock, Ian. Okay, no problem. Oh, my God, we've invented kedgery. Kedgery. Yeah. <laughs> kedgery. I kedgery not. It's kedgery. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, kedgeri is delicious, isn't it? I didn't have it until I was pretty old, but oh, I did enjoy it. No, but it's weird, isn't it? It is. If you read about what kedgeri is, yeah. and for our listeners, it's haddock, rice and egg, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you read that combination, you go, no, you're right. It's like black pudding. You'd be like, that. basically, it's an animal scab. No, I'm fine. <laughs> but when you eat it, you're like that. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. <laughs> It is. Do you think Britishness is anything to do with the diet we have, the food? I don't think so anymore. It's changed, isn't it? We've gone international. If someone listed all the traditional British dishes like mash and pie and mash and fish and chips, as an outsider, as someone who doesn't live in the UK, you'd just be thinking all English people had acutely high cholesterol mad acid indigestion and were completely and utterly obese. Well, did they have fish and chips in other parts of the world, apart from those catering for the tourists? No, if you go to Spain, you couldn't get fish and chips. If you went to Italy, you wouldn't get fish and chips. In Greece, you would get, like, um, cooked cheeses, like halloumi, feta, that kind of thing, which is a bit more lardy. Do you always think when you say halloumi, you're sort of at night time when you're just getting ready for bed? Hello, me. Have you ever done that? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Forget what I just asked. But... It's when the mirror says back, hello, you. You think, oh, my God. <laughs> I wish, wish I'd not had that last glass of wine. <laughs> I think an English diet in comparison to the rest of our Mediterranean or European friends just looks like stuff that would make you want to sleep and hibernate, wouldn't it? I'm quite envious of the Italian diet, that Mediterranean mm. way. 
I've never quite fancied the German no. thinking of it as more just sausage and things, which is ridiculous. No, I've been and had a piece of fish in Berlin and they basted it in half a pound of butter. Oh, okay. It was not a good ending. I'm lactose intolerant. So you say, unless it's tasty enough ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> in America, though, they put knobs of butter on things, don't they? They don't even melt the butter. No. They have something called liquid butter, which is something they have in like a, a ketchup squirty thing. And they just squirt it over the top of the food. But in Germany, they still cook with salted and unsalted butters. Okay. And there's a lot of creams and full fats and stuff like that. So why are the Germans not the size of a Black Forest ghetto with the amount of creams and butters that they use in their cooking? And their cooking, in fairness, is worse than ours. It includes sauerkraut, which is pickled cabbage. We got a jar of that sort of thing when we had a Polish cleaner and she was so nice and we saw this on so I thought oh she might like that we offered it to her the face she pulled was like why do you think I've come to England my sister-in-law is from Poland my other sister-in-law is from Hungary and they both complain that there is a whole thing about pickled root vegetables do you like pickled root vegetables I like a few pickled things like perhaps pickled red cabbage around Christmas time but I don't really like a lot of pickled stuff Nobody likes pickled red cabbage. I do around Christmas time. Really? Yeah. That just looks like vinegary punishment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if someone was to say to you, you've been a very naughty boy, Graham, eat this entire jar of pickled red cabbage, you'd be like, oh, yeah. God. But like pickled beetroots and pickled, what else can you pickle that's root vegetable-y? Well, beetroot's lovely. Surely you like beetroot. Don't you? No. Don't no. you like beetroot? If it looks like a murder scene in a jar, I don't tend to like to eat it. It's disgusting. <laughs> I do remember a girl at school called Melissa Christmas. No tea. Called what? Just for record. She's now married. Her name was Melissa Christmas. And she came to me <laughs> in my room one night and she said, I'm really worried. And I said, why? She said, my wee is red and I think I'm ill. It transposed. She'd eaten two giant whole beetroots, oh, which whoa. does make your wee turn a funny colour. Yeah. So, emergency over. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a pet flamingo. Yeah, pet flamingos can also make your wee pink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why you should never eat your pet flamingo, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Is there anything about the sort of pet you have that defines you as British? Oh, yes. Dog owners. Britain is big for being a dog owner. Yeah. Dogs are, you know, Labradors particularly, I think. Man and his dog. That's definitely all collies, you know, farming. That's got to be something to be said. We're just pet lovers. Yeah. Yeah, we? Well, yeah, well, I think generally we are pet lovers, part of the family. Mm. And the pet's allowed to do more or less what it wants in the home. The pet is more or less a part of the family. Yeah. Whereas in other parts of Europe, I know some countries in Europe where they actually let their pets out onto the street in the summer because they leave the cities. Whoa. And then they hope that they will come back at the end of the summer and find their pet really? again. Really? I didn't know um, that. Yeah, it's a very different way of looking at your pets. What would you define as British then? You've asked me, but what's your concept of what makes you British as opposed to something else? I think our royal family. Yeah. I do like our royal family. Yeah. I wouldn't describe myself necessarily. I know you've got royalists and people who are not royalists, uh -huh. but I do think they are the queen. You can't fault that woman. She is brilliant, and especially in this whole COVID situation. You get the impression that she could have just rolled up her sleeves and elbowed Boris and said to him, oh, go and sit down, young man, and taken over, and she would have sorted it all out. Yeah. I think of the Queen, especially when she's got those lovely blue robes on, you know, her dress and things, as a bit like the fairy godmother singing Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. 
in the Disney films. Uh, I think she'd have got rid of COVID. I don't think she's that cuddly. The fairy godmother wasn't that cuddly, was she? Just swirl her wand around <laughs> and before you knew it, your pumpkins have turned into coaches and uh, COVID-19 would have gone. I'm sure she's got yeah. powers yet to be discovered. Why is it when Boris comes on TV and tells me not to worry, it makes me very anxious? When a 90-year-old woman with a close-knit perm and a penchant for yellow suits comes on and tells me not to worry, I'm like, fine, no problem, I'll start singing Vera Lynn. You start humming Queenie and I'll join in on the chorus. <laughs> so why is that so different? She's obviously got a very stabilising influence, hasn't she? She's seen a lot. She's experienced a lot. Her upbringing taught her a lot. Mm. But do you feel the same about the new royals? Don't the, get me started. You say the royal family makes you feel British. You didn't say the Queen. Mm. You said the royal family. But, I mean, they're all over the place, I do. aren't they? Well, I like William and Kate and their three small people. Uh -huh. But as for the other one, the redhead that's migrated, he's dead to me now. <laughs> migrated. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, not a bird, is he? He's dead to me. He's gone off with the other one. I think it's emigration. I'm not interested. It's like trying something on for a bit as a job and going, come on, let's up sticks and go. My issue with that, my auntie Sheila, she's 81, she agrees. She feels that Harry and Meghan let us down at a time when we really needed them. They decided to go after the Golden Arches when, to be perfectly honest, the Wimpy Empire was burning down. So they should have been here to take care of that before they decided to migrate. And I, like many in the UK feel let down, disappointed. But I think it made William and Kate look better and the Queen has stepped up. Well, the Queen always does. Do you think she's ever mm -hmm. going to give the throne to Charles? No. No? Well, I don't know, actually. I think she won't give up her throne until she's poorly yeah. and then I think she'll choose her successor. But I think it might possibly be William or they might try and let him have as much time as he can with his kids beforehand. Yeah. If Charles had come on the TV and done the same speech that the Queen had done, would we have felt the same? No, or? I don't think mm. so. It's been a strange old time for him. I feel a bit sorry for him, really. He's got some good ideas trying to... Well, Charles had COVID, didn't he? Did he? I'm sorry, her name's Camilla. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, both him and Camilla did catch COVID. Oh, I didn't know. But they did in Scotland, of all places. Apparently when they were down having a fried Mars bar, both of them were exposed. They are nationwide, aren't they? They do go around the country <laughs> quite a lot, all of them. Are you saying our royal family is promiscuous? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, they are nationwide. They do. They do go everywhere. Would you describe yourself primarily as British or English? Yes, <laughs> yeah. British, because it sounds better. Yeah, English when I have to explain the only languages I can speak. OK, so if you're from England, mm. you're English. If you're from Wales, you're Welsh. If you're from Scotland, yeah. you're Scottish. Yeah. If you're from Ireland, you're Irish. Yeah. So Britain's British. Uh, what do you call yourself if you say yeah, I'm from the United Kingdom? I'm United Kingdish or what? Kingdomish? What's the word for that then? Open to all offers. Do you call yourself UKish? <laughs> I'm UK-ish. <laughs> UK How are you? I'm UK-ish. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a terrible day. I choked up a chicken tikka masala no, think... and I couldn't get my fish and chips on the way home but now I'm just feeling a bit uk -ish. I think I'm a bit UK-ish with my fish and mash. <laughs> <laughs> Modern Aged Middle Life was brought to you by Graham Jarvis and Emily Baum. If you liked it, tell a friend or rate and review the podcast. That will help others find us. Thanks.